Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post, coming to you from uh, the new home of Posting Up, San Francisco, California. And I'm very happy to be joined by one of my longest and closest friends in the the writing community, uh, Joe Goodman, who used to cover the Miami Heat for the Miami Herald and now is a columnist extraordinaire for AL.com and and a bunch of newspapers. So, Joe, thanks for coming on, man. How are you? Man, I'm great. It's great to be here. Bond Temps moves to California and calls Joe. That's right. Uh, losing, losing Joe from the NBA beat has, uh, has made it far less entertaining. Uh, <laughs> Joe's one of the most colorful people I know and one of my best friends. So I'm glad to get to have you on. And I wanted to have you on because you have a, uh, a unique, um, you have a unique story when it comes to covering super teams like this. You, if I remember right, you started on the beat right when LeBron showed up and you left. Did you, did you even cover the 2015 season? Did you yes, cover 15 I, and then leave? All right. So you, so you I were did. there, so you were there for the all, basically every game of LeBron's run in Miami. Okay. So, so this is, this is how it happens. All <laughs> <okay>. right. This <laughs> is a, a funny story. I, so I was covering the Florida Gators. Okay. For, I, I for the Miami Herald. For the Herald. I was living in Gainesville, Florida. And I covered the entire Tim Tebow, uh, Joe Kim Noah, the greatest era in Florida of sports. And then Urban went in the tank, <laughs> lost to Mississippi, Mississippi State. You just State. wanted to get an Urban Meyer shot on the podcast. That's all right. I'll, let, I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> and I literally left the next day. <laughs> so like, so explain, explain how this works. Because you, you came on, I want to say, was it in October? Like you covered the beginning of the season and left, right? Right. I covered the first couple of games and they lost to Mississippi State and I left and I was in place to cover the heat for the beginning of the preseason. Okay. So what so explain explain what that was like cuz they went I know they went to an army base. That was a whole big thing. So you know, what was it like jumping in with that just right as things were uh were getting started? Imagine being dropped into the craziest situation ever. <laughs> Never <laughs> Never covering the NBA, period. Being from okay. Alabama, whether NBA isn't exactly right. a, isn't exactly a, a hot a hot topic of conversation. The surface of Mars is more <laughs> familiar to the people of Alabama than the NBA. Okay, <laughs> I literally had to look up what a pick and roll was. <laughs> <laughs> That's tremendous. <laughs> Meanwhile, right. you're meanwhile you're talking to LeBron every day. <laughs> LeBron, that was excellent. <laughs> LeBron, why are you nine and eight? <laughs> All right, so, so yeah, so so go ahead. Yeah, it was it was the most extraordinary thing the NBA had ever seen, and I got dropped into the middle of it without any background in the NBA at all. Right there. <laughs> And there was 15 full-time beat writers on the beat and, you know, every single national paper and website was dropping in all the time. Uh, but from the very beginning, it was, it was very obvious that I was never going to sleep for <laughs> however long LeBron was in Miami. <laughs> yeah, that was it was crazy. I remember uh I remember the first time I met you was at I don't even know if you remember this. It was in uh it was in New York at the Garden that first season in like November. The Heat were in there really early. Um cuz I I knew you from through our through our mutual friend Rachel George who I went to college with. And uh I remember seeing you in the uh in the line going into the Garden that day and saying hello to you, but what what was it like um those first couple months, especially when he got off to a rough start and there was a whole, the whole bump yeah. thing with Eric Spolstra. I mean, how, how, like, what did it, what was it like to kind of be in the middle of the, the storm there? Everything was magnified times 100. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And the bump, you know, that could have been the start of world war three in Miami, <laughs> the way that, the way that we covered that it, you know, and in a very real sense, I mean, LeBron was trying active, not actively, passively, 
as LeBron does many things behind the scenes. He was passive-aggressively trying to get Eric Spoelstra right. fired. Exactly. Right. Him, and, him and his boy Maverick, they were, trying <laughs> to, they were trying to work the channels. And Pat Riley shut that down real quick. He was like, no, this is not going to happen. So they, they go 9-8, and eight and they, they lose by like 30 or something in Dallas. And they call this team, this players-only meeting, lasts for 45 minutes. Uh, 50 minutes and at this time you know LeBron and Dwayne were doing all of their uh, post game together right so this team that you're covering now just make sure that Steph and Durant don't ever do the same <laughs> conference conference together they have to go separate like that should be a rule why is that, that explain oh, explain explain to Pete because like average people listening aren't going to get like, the reason why so explain why why that matters because okay Let's say you're together and you're talking to somebody, all right? Then your your point of view is going to infect whatever they say, okay? You're not you're going to speak in the company of someone in a way that you would not if they were not there. So as a reporter who is trying to enter some interview somebody, it's extremely detrimental to your job to try to get an honest answer out of somebody when there's somebody who is standing on ceremony, like, right next to them. You could also, in theory, only get half as many questions in because you're inevitably going to get half of them answered to somebody else, too. Exactly. So they came up to this podium in a little bitty room in the, the bowels of the Mavericks arena, which is, you know, obviously almost the same exact name as the Heats arena. <laughs> we won't mention any sponsors. Right. And... The, the Dallas radio guy who does the old timey sports writer. Do you know the old timey news? Do you I'm know? Trying I'm trying to think about? of what show it is. I, I know okay. who you're talking about. I don't know if it's the ESPN radio in Dallas or what it is. In radio but years, he may be gone for four years by now too. Who knows? <laughs> there, there was a guy in Dallas, and his shtick was he would be the old timey radio man. Okay, and he was so funny. And this was a very tense moment on the beat. This was, it felt like everything had come to a head. They had a 45-minute post-game news conference. They had just lost by 30. They had no idea how to play offense or defense together. And <laughs> the old-timey sports reporter comes on in his accent and goes, Champ! Hey, Champ! 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 How are you going to put the pickle back in the pickle jar? That was the greatest thing ever. I forgot about that. That was tremendous. But that people forget though. Like they obviously went on and because it was yeah, it was was so crazy. The beat was so, and everyone wanted to know literally every little thing that was going on. I mean, I would I had to write a separate story just about that little vignette of of a. You know, this happened, you know, right. old time. I mean, everything had to be chronicled. Right. No, and, and uh, you know, that all, that was, they were 9-8 and eight going into that Cleveland game, right? That was, that was when things finally turned. They go to Cleveland and they win by 50 in Cleveland, and they went on a huge winning streak, right? And then things kind of settled down? Yeah, they won like 12 games in a row. They ran off a bunch of games in December. Uh, everything was fine after that. Um because the pickle in the pickle jar turned the season, <laughs> I turned the season around. What, what what was it like? I mean, you know, at that point, you know, LeBron, you know, Durant, Kevin Durant coming here is obviously a huge deal. But um, I think it's going to be a bigger deal than the Heat, more because of the whole team together than just because of one guy coming here. The the Heat were at circus almost solely because LeBron decided to leave Cleveland. Like what? Okay, but here. Okay, but here, let me. So, no, what, but I, what do, I was gonna let me ask my question first. I was just gonna say, what was it like, kind of being around LeBron, especially that first season, as he was trying to adjust to a new a new environment and new teammates and a new city and everything else. Yeah, he he could not be himself, and it led to the detriment of the team to begin the season, and the whole year he was uncomfortable. And it, man, it all manifested itself in the finals, okay? Right. Uh, we haven't gotten to that yet. But all season, he's trying to be a villain. And if you know LeBron, he is a 
he is, at the core of his being is a person pleaser. Okay, and so he's a nice guy who wants people to like him. That's exactly who he is. And for him to try to be this villain and play this Darth Vader role uh, completely disrupted everything about him. And how would, he, the, how would he try to do that? Like, how would it manifest itself? Well, people created this narrative for him, and he tried to live inside this narrative that other people were creating for him. It manifested itself because he went on national television and you know, body slammed the entire city of Cleveland off the third rope. I mean, that's <laughs> right. He did it to himself. Right, okay? right, right, right. I just uh, meant, I meant more like, you know, post decision, like during the season, like how did he, what, what, like what ways did he try to embrace that as the year went along? What, what did he try to do? Oh, just a lot of snarling and growling at people. <laughs> um, <laughs> like a caged wildebeest. <laughs> I mean, he just, he just was unhappy at all times. <laughs> Savannah was living up in Cleveland. You know, he just it was completely out of his element. You know, you, you go from Cleveland to living in Miami. That's a huge change. Um, everyone hated him, and he wants to be liked by all. You know, and that's the big... See, that's what you have to understand about why that season as a reporter was so different than anything else. Because, you know, what we do is tell stories, right. okay? And, you know, there's two games, so there's always going to be a built-in plot. But what you had here was this super villain already built into the story. So what you're covering the villain for an entire year. That's what it was. And your story is only as good as your villain. And the Heat was like, they weren't the super team. They were, because that team really wasn't that, I mean, compared to this Warriors team, that Heat team wasn't that good. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, I, but they were the super villain. Right. I've been maintaining, we're the super team. I've been maintaining for months that ever since this team named together, I don't think this is going to be like what happened in Miami at all. Because, you had, in Miami, you have LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, three guys that had never played together, that were all number one guys in their respective teams, that all had to come together as a group and try to figure out how to play together. And they also didn't have nearly as deep a bench. They basically only had five guys. Who was the fourth best guy on that team? Well, Mike Miller before he got hurt. And then then the fifth best guy would have been Udonis Haslam before he got hurt. So then you're down to probably Mario Chalmers, who at that point was in his second year and was a second-round pick and hadn't really done anything yet. So... Yeah, I mean, they were, I mean, they were trotting out, like, what, Eric Dampier and Mike Bibby and Carlos Arroyo. Like they, Mike, they, Mike Bibby Wasn't Jamal McGlure on that team, too? Yeah, yeah, he was the big cat was on that team. Jerry Stackhouse Joel was on that Anthony, team, wasn't he? Zadrunas Ilgauskas. Zadrunas, I mean, was probably the fourth best player on the team. Right, right. Well, maybe. Yeah, may, I mean, maybe he was. At that point, he was pretty near the end, too. Like, they, <laughs> no, but that's the thing, like, I totally agree with you. You look at this Warriors team. Not only do they have Steph, Clay, and Draymond for their core, now you add Kevin Durant. You have Zaza Pachulia, who's a fine starting center. You have Andre Godal, who's the best bench guy in the league. And you have Sean Livingston, who might be the best backup point guard in the league. And you have David West, who's a quality backup big guy. Like, they're eight guys deep, even before you get into any guys off the bench that could be a problem. So I think they're just, I don't think that any of the trouble that the heat had should really apply to them because I just think these pieces fit together too well. And they don't have to, they don't have to try to learn on the fly. Like that Miami team did like that. Miami team had a million things to put together. Plus you had a lot of, you know, you know, we talked about it earlier that infighting with the coach, you know, you had LeBron trying to, to get rid of Spolstra. That certainly is going to be the case with Steve Kerr. Like I just think a lot of the bumps in the road that team had early on just don't really apply here. What is it like with Zaza at the club? That's what I want to know. Like what, <laughs> You walk up into the club with, Listen, with Europeans with, know how to play, man. You, know, you yeah. know that. And he's got this huge head, like bobbing to the beat, right? I mean, his melon is uncare. I mean, it is the largest I've ever seen. I mean, this guy, he's I also, love him. He's also he a wonderful human being. Yeah, he's a great guy, but he is one of the meanest men ever on the court of. I, and I, I kind of like like that's the kind of that's the thing about this Warriors team. Like, <laughs> not only do you have uh, Draymond Green who showed during last year that he doesn't mind taking a cheap shot or two, but 
you've got Zaza Pachulia and David West. Like those are two guys that are going to have no problem just clobbering people. Like somebody comes oh, out absolutely. of the lane and tries to get a layup, those guys are just going to lay people out. Like and, that's his job. That's right. his job on this team. Right. Those guys are just out there to get rebounds and just maul people. And, you know, but the, but the Heat didn't have that. Like, the Heat didn't have anybody like that early on. It wasn't only until later when they started to add guys like Shane Battier and, and Ray Allen. Like then, as they got along in the process, they started to get some more solid bench pieces. But, you know, early on, that team was really just LeBron and Wade and Bosh and then, you know, just a bunch of scrubs, really. You know, especially that yeah, first they- season. They had to score – each fourth had to score 20 points tonight. Um, really, they weren't getting any help from anywhere. Mike Miller had, like, two broken thumbs the entire first year. Right. Udonis Haslam broke his foot real early in the year. Um, didn't he break his foot? <laughs> he did something, and he was out for most of the regular season. Yeah, did... there's the top of his foot. He right. broke his top That's in right. Memphis. That's yeah. right. Um, that was the night uh, Rudy Gay hit a game-winning shot. I think that was right that was before a- Rudy Gay got traded, too. I think that was all in the same, same time frame. Um, <laughs> so this is something I was talking about with some people over at the Warriors facility today um, at Media Day. You mentioned it earlier, but that team, they really were the supervillains. And, you know, not only because of the way they came together, but I think in specifics, um, the way they came together. Um, really enraged a lot of people. You know, you mentioned how LeBron kind of dropped a bomb on Cleveland the way he left with the decision, and that left a sour taste in people's mouths. Not only, not only because LeBron left, but he goes and joins up with Dwayne Wade, who was probably his arch rival at the time in terms of talent in the league. And, um, you know, they bring in Chris Bosh, who was a, you know, an all-star big man, one of, the, one of the most versatile bigs in the league. So everywhere they went, they really got just unmercilessly booed everywhere, not just in Cleveland, but like, you know, didn't matter what city. It was like LeBron turned down all 29 teams going to Miami. Um, what, what was – because I, I, the thing I really wonder about this Warriors team is they have a lot of similar guys to that Heat team in that they have a lot of guys that, that kind of just like to be liked and are just decent guys, whether it's Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, uh, Clay Thompson. You know, these are all guys that, you know, they're not used to being villains. Like, those guys weren't. Um, it, what, what was that like being around that as those guys kind of – like you said, they, they walked into every building looking like, you know, they were just, you know, they were like the comic hero, the comic book supervillains that had to try to get beat every night. Well, Dwayne thrived and Dwayne doesn't care. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he is cold blooded. Well, I, yeah. that, and he, he is the, he's the, the corollary there for this team is Draymond, but clearly he, he doesn't care either. I think he thrives off that stuff. Um, but but everybody else, I think, really was was impacted by it, at least in some degree, to some degree, weren't they? Chris Bosh had a difficult time just schematically fitting into what they were trying to do that first year. All the swirl and every oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna break out my spoisms, but all <laughs> all, all of the outside noise, okay? <laughs> spoism hashtag spoisms, all of that stuff. Um, Bosch, he's he was such a cool dude, and you know, it just didn't phase him. And everything that's happened to him now is just it just breaks my heart. But yeah, I want to get to that later. His biggest thing was he was one thing in Toronto, right? And he had to become the ultimate role player in Miami. He had to and, make it. He had to make the biggest adjustment of everybody on that team. By yeah, far. absolutely. And Spo and Spo would say that. Bosch was the most important player on the team. Uh, he would consistently say that. Now, who is going to be the Bosch on this team? That's what. That's really what I'm interested to know. It's and it's going to be. It's is it going to be Clay Thompson? I think it's going to be Draymond Green because I I think you like Clay to me. People have said that Clay is going to get less shots. I don't think Clay is going to get less shots because he's kind of like he he doesn't really need the ball. You know what I mean? Like. He's going to get the ball swung to him. He's going to be open. He's going to shoot, you know. But Draymond, like last year, Draymond became this triple-double guy, right? He had more assists per game than Steph Curry. Um, He had the ball in his hands all the time. And I think now Kevin Durant's going to have the ball a lot more. You know, Clay, Clay Clay doesn't really dribble the ball that much. He doesn't make a lot of plays. He's gotten a lot better as a playmaker, but he doesn't do a lot of that stuff. Um, and to well, me, I hope I hope Durant didn't leave Oklahoma because he wanted the ball in his hand more because that's not going to happen. Well, no, well, no. But what I'm <laughs> saying is, I don't think Durant's going to have the ball a lot less. I think that those possessions where 
Draymond would grab the ball and go. Like, I think there'll be some of those still, but I, I think a lot more times it's going to be Durant as the one running the second unit. Because, like, a lot of times when Steph was out of the game, Draymond would be running the point for them. And I think now they're going to do a lot of what Oklahoma City did, which is that when Steph isn't in the game, they'll have Durant be kind of the guy with the ball all the time to allow Durant to get some more shots. So I really think the guy that's going to be impacted the most in terms of stat line is Draymond. And it's going to be interesting to me when you look at everything that's happened to Draymond this summer from the incident in Michigan State with the, with, you know, when he got in the altercation with the former football player there to the, you know, the Snapchat incident this summer to not playing during Team USA, with Team USA during the Olympics and have sitting next to Harrison Barnes for six weeks. I, you know, I, I kind of <laughs> wonder, I kind of wonder how he's going to respond to, all right, Draymond, listen, Everybody else is going to kind of get their stats still, but you're going to have to go back to being a defense first guy that doesn't have the ball that much, doesn't get to have triple doubles all the time. Like I, I kind of wonder, I kind of wonder how that's going to go. That to me might be the most interesting, um, interesting dynamic here because Steph's going to have the ball because he's the point guard, and Clay doesn't really need the ball to get his points because every time he touches, he's going to be open. Probably he'll be able to shoot you're, it. You're going to be the former New York Post reporter posting up next to Draymond Green's locker room, trying to stir up some controversy. Well, no offense, um, but I, Draymond has stirred up plenty of controversy on his own. So I, I, don't, I don't think that's going to be – I don't think that's going to be that hard to do. <laughs> if, if, Draymond's anything, if Draymond's anything like he's been this summer, there's going to be more than enough uh, – there's going to be more than enough controversy to go around. Look, um, if we've learned anything – from the from the heat, okay, right. that right. can apply to this is that it's not going to be as easy as everyone thinks it's going to be. See, I gonna, I, I kind of disagree though. I think it's going to be pretty easy. I think it's going to be really easy because I think once just December gets around, that probably will be. But I even I, think, I think it will be. First couple of months, I even think it will be early. I think the better comparison for them is the Celtics, the 08 Celtics with Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen, because that was another team where the pieces fit better. And that team got off to a crazy start and won 66 games and never really had, never really skipped, missed a beat until the playoffs. Then they had a couple of tough series in the playoffs, um, specifically with that Hawks team in the first round when they went seven games, um, which ironically Zaza Pachulia was on the other team. Um, but uh, I, I just, like to me, Kevin Durant's replacing Harrison Barnes and Zaza Pachulia is replacing Andrew Bogan. And everybody else is basically the same from the top eight guys. So it's long, it's really like there's stylistic differences, but I just don't think they're going to have to go through nearly the kind of, like you mentioned it before, all three of those heat guys had to change their games to make that work. Like, cause they couldn't just keep doing what they'd been doing in the past. They all had to learn how to shoot better. They had to learn how to share the ball, all this stuff that, that they didn't really have to do before. And I, I just think with this team, I just think everything's going to fit pretty well together. And they're not really going to have to have a lot of time where they, they have to, kind of learn what to do because they just have to they're just basically plugging somebody in and going i i don't think Draymond. i think to me he's like the the nba's ultimate swiss army knife so i think he can adapt to to a different role better than oh i anyone think he can adapt to a different role i just wonder how he's going to handle not having the ball very much like is that going to annoy him that's more adapting <laughs> i don't think is going to be the problem i just don't know if he's going to like not having the ball as much because i think he's the one when you talk about somebody having a sacrifice, to me, he's the one who's going to sacrifice touches because he's not going to have a lot of opportunities to be <clears throat> that third scorer anymore. It, 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 this is just in my opinion. I think that team is going to be at its best when Durant can, can get open and create space off the ball and knock down shots and create mismatches. That just, just looking at it from everything, uh, you know, we'll, and we'll see how the team shakes out, but... Yeah, it's going to evolve. That's what it, that's what's going to happen. Right. And every little, every smarter, every minor little setback and problem they have is going to be amplified and blown out of proportion. That's what's going to happen the right. first the first month. Right. That first six weeks is going to be, you know, after like you said, once they get to mid December, they'll settle in like that Heat team did. If there's any controversy at all, they've already been. I mean, these guys have already been through it. You know. Well, then that's also why I think it's going to be different. But because um, I, I don't like I was around this team last year, like they were 16 and 0 in Boston last year. Like, yeah, how are they? How is this going to be a bigger thing than 
than when they were in Boston and they're playing a double overtime game against the Celtics and people are going berserk, you know, trying to beat them. Like, I just, you know, it's hard to see, it's hard to see how they're going to get, like a lot of these guys are going to get phased by that kind of stuff. But one, one thing that is different though, is going to be the booing. Like they weren't really booed last year. They, they were just the center of this storm of attention. Oh, they they were, were, it was like America's love affair. Right. And that, that's the thing, like, that's the thing that compare in comparison to Miami, I'm really going to be interested in because like I said earlier, these are all a bunch of guys that like that Miami team for the most part, other than, you know, like you said, probably Wade on that team and Draymond on this team. These are all guys that are used to being liked and they're not going to be liked this year. They're going to be hated everywhere they go. Okay. Everyone is still going to love Steph. I'm sorry. Ah, see, Everyone is still going to love him. I don't but think so. If, Le- if LeBron was the super villain, okay, then Kevin Durant is the super sellout. All right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what he is, okay? <laughs> Look at you. You're making up, you're making up uh, tabloid nicknames for people. I can't, I can't even spit that out properly. <laughs> I had no idea that was coming. <laughs> it just, it's organic, the podcast, man. You know? But seriously, you know, here's a guy that it would be like, did LeBron go to the Celtics? No, he didn't. After, because, you know, the Cavs lost to the Celtics in 2010. It would have been like LeBron going to the Celtics. That's what, you know, he didn't. He hated the Celtics. So he went to the, he went, he went to the Miami Heat so he could beat the Celtics. Right. Durant joined the freaking Warriors. It is crazy. It is crazy to think about that. Like, I can't – it's still hard for me to wrap my head around being at Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals, being at Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals. Like, people don't realize that, like, that game Clay Thompson had in Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals, that is one of the greatest games in NBA history. Like, the only reason that Golden State made it to Game 7 was because Clay Thompson had is – going, he's going to be a Hall of Fame player, and he had the game of his life, and they won. Like, that's a game if you had played it a thousand times, they'd win maybe five times. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was completely insane. And to see that series play out the way it did, like I was going to, when I, when I got done with the season, I was going to pick the Thunder to win the title this year. I thought they were going to have the best team. Steven Adams is going to be a year older. They still had Serge Ibaka. They had Durant. They were going to have Westbrook. Like I thought they were going to be the best team. I thought they were, I was going to pick them as favorites to win the title. And then to see him leave and go to Golden State, while I totally understand why he did it, it is still really hard to wrap my head around that, that, that this has well, all happened. I just hope for your sake and journalists, you know, for those who don't know, are always thinking about numero uno. Okay. Wow, the story the people, I people, just hope people for your ask sake. about, people ask about what people like people root for teams. No, we, we root for uh, whatever story we have already half written or whatever story <laughs> we want to write. That is the best story. Then nothing else matters. So nothing else matters. In that vein, I I just really hope for you that they get to play each other in the playoffs because that oh my god, god that is when that is me. when it, you know that is when it'll reach supernova. Well, I status. I so at Game Six of the of the Western Conference Finals, there were there were fans behind me, uh, me and Sam Amick from USA Today, who were who were just screaming things the whole game. And they're screaming at me the whole game. Like, <laughs> just like, oh, man, aren't you happy? Aren't you happy that the Warriors are winning? And, like, I was just going crazy on press row because that game was insane. Like, the number of incredible plays. Like, the, Kevin Durant jumped up in the air to try to block a shot. The ball got past Sean Livingston on the baseline. Sean Livingston goes up for a dunk. Kevin Durant immediately comes back down on the ground, immediately goes back up and blocks Sean Livingston at the rim. Stonewall's a dunk. Like, I've never seen a guy jump like that. It was one of the craziest defensive plays I've ever seen. There was a play like that, like, every two minutes in that game. It was insane. <laughs> so, like, I was going crazy just at all these great plays. These fans behind me are going crazy, yelling at me. And as, as the game ended, I had, this fan, I had fans, like, in my face screaming at me about the way the game went because they just assumed I was rooting for the Warriors or whatever. But, like, I, I, like that crowd in February – when Durant goes back there, like, I think it's going to be worse than LeBron at Cleveland. Like, I know how I, like you were there for that. So, and I was not. So maybe I, maybe it's, maybe that's exaggerating, but like you've been at game. I mean, you were at finals games in 2012 in that arena. That arena is insanely loud in Oklahoma city. Like I cannot even comprehend 
what the atmosphere is going to be like there that day. It's a Saturday okay. night game okay. in Oklahoma. They're going to be able to drink all day. It's going to be insane. <laughs> all right. Completely I'm insane. glad you brought that up. This is a perfect segue. Okay. To the most insane sporting event, any type of event that I've ever been associated with in any way. And that was when LeBron went back to Cleveland the first time. The sheer vitriol of this arena that was manifest, it was just pouring down nonstop. There was grandmothers who were swearing like sailors at the top of their voices. There, there were people throwing, you know, diesel batteries onto the court. There, all right, and this is the ultimate. This is it right here, okay, in the season. This is how much everyone hated LeBron. The people who were paid to protect him in that arena, the security, had a nickname for him, and it was the traitor. And (laughs) the only reason I know that, okay, is because I was leaving the press room in Oklahoma City, and everything was so so crazy in, in the bowels of the arena that I had to take the freight elevator up to press row. And I was in there with two people that had on walkies, okay? Okay. And, <laughs> and so it's just me, just a reporter, and I, I hear on the walkie-talkie, the trader has left the locker room. The tra- <laughs> I repeat, repeat, the trader has left the locker room. The trader <laughs> is walking through the hall. The trader is... At the tunnel, you know, the people who were being paid to protect LeBron hated him so much that that they called him the traitor. Nothing will ever be like that, Tim. Nothing. I don't know. The way that Cleveland hated him that night. I don't know, man. I I agree with you. Like, look, I grew up. It transcended sports. It transcended. I mean, there was so much. I grew up a couple hours from there, and I, I know what that near area was like after he left, and I know how angry they were. But I, I don't know, man. That, that arena in February, like that's a Saturday night game in February. I, so I you, just, you're, I don't know. You're trying to account for the drunk cowboy factor. I'm accounting for what you're I'm, trying listen, to do. I'm accounting for everything. Okay. okay? I've never been in arena louder. Than Game Six of the Western Conference Finals last year, that place I thought was going to explode. The drunk cowboy factor is real, okay? But there is there's so gonna much. Of, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of anger there, a lot of drinking there. It's going so to be crazy. The, I got death threats from Oklahoma City fans when the Heat played uh, the Thunder. You know, in those two. Yeah, that's what I'm well, saying. They were they were trying to attack me after that game, and I was just sitting there, like. So they they can get crazy, but the Cav- the, the but the Cleveland fans on that night, I, that was a. Oh God, it was just so incredible, and, and there was so much hate in that building, and it was like everything that region had experienced, and all the scorn, and all the people leaving the Rust Belt, and. LeBron, yeah, LeBron left. became a symbol. LeBron became a symbol yeah. for a lot of other things, and it and it all came to a head that night. People were just screaming at the top of their lungs the most vile obscenities you would ever hear. It was it was like an entire sweat box of hate. Now, now, do you think do you think that that things? Um, that things changed for them after that game? Because that, that was like four or five weeks into the season. They kind of got that out of the way. Like, do you, do you think that – obviously that was a crazy night, but do you think like getting past that and kind of seeing that um, – like they made it through that, like then things maybe evened out a little bit for them after that? Was that kind of a watershed moment, surviving that it was, game? It, for them, it was already us against the world. Right. But for everyone to expand – and that – had a deep impact on every single person who was at that arena. Right. But after everyone, after that team went through that experience and no one in professional athletics has ever, and none of those guys had ever experienced anything like that. It doesn't matter. You know, and I'm in sec stadiums all the time now and it's the closest thing to 
uh, European soccer fandom that we have in this country. Uh, but it wasn't anything like that. It was imagine sticking, um, imagine sticking Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton in the middle of an arena full of people who were drunk and had been bitten by rattlesnakes. Okay, <laughs> and then you know, and then Hillary Clinton like took a knee during the national anthem. That is exactly. <laughs> That, that, that was Cleveland that night. <laughs> All right. So, you know, that team, that team is probably the, the one, you know, even more than the Warriors last team, you know, that first LeBron team was, you know, everybody, you know, everybody thought that team, you know, LeBron and, and Wade and Bosch get up at that presser in July and say, they're going to win not four, not five, not six, not seven. They're going to win all these titles in a row. Um, you know, obviously they go to Dallas, you, you kind of mentioned it earlier and, and things fell apart and they, they lost. Um, you know, I, I think that Kevin Durant is going to be under even more pressure than LeBron was to win a championship this first season because of how good this Warriors team already was. You kind of mentioned before how he this isn't like LeBron because LeBron went to beat the Celtics. He joined up with those guys to go beat the best team. Whereas, um, you know, the Warriors were the best team and he left a great team to come here. But what what was the what were those finals like? Um as somebody who'd been around that team for nine months and kind of watched it all come together to see, to see LeBron uh, kind of wilt under the pressure of, you know, having to try to deliver in the finals like that. Weird, extremely (laughs) weird. All right. The psychology of LeBron James in that finals was something that you don't see out of a, any professional athlete, because guys who make it to this level, you know, they know how to deal with that and, and internalize things and rise above. Uh, but the fact that it happened on that stage and in that fashion, um, it just really spoke to everything I feel like that he had went through that entire year. And <clears throat> they should have beaten the Mavericks. There's no doubt about oh, it. There's no question they were a far better team. I mean, Dirk was right. incredible in that series, but Dirk, Dirk was the only guy on that team that was anywhere near their level. I mean, they had a they had a washed up Jason Kidd, they had a washed up Sean Marion, they had you know Tyson Chandler was good, but I mean they, that team didn't nearly have the firepower even that 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 you know that Heat team did. And, and when they yeah when they lost in Game Four, all right, that that's that's when I knew that it was done, man, because after the game. They, the way I didn't understand where their heads were at because there was a, remember Dirk was sick. He was, he had, he was fighting a sickness at the beginning going, of that. Going into game three, they were, that was the game they made fun three. of him, right? Right. Was it game four. It, it was three. Or, I, I think it was, yeah, maybe it was three. Right. Maybe it was three. Uh, Cause the alarm bells, I guess were going off after game four. Um, but they, they were making fun of this guy and I, I couldn't understand why they were doing that. And the only explanation that I could come up with is that they were just completely trying to deflect from the obvious. And it was that LeBron was, he was shot emotionally, physically, spiritually. You know, he just, he just didn't have it for that series anymore. He was deferring. It was a completely different team when he went into that shell and uh, yeah, it was almost like shell shock, is what it was. For, I, for I felt like they never recovered from game two. Was the game that they were up, up big and celebrated, right? It wasn't game one. It was game two, and they had a chance to go up two zero, right? Mm, I can't remember. Well, I don't think they. I know they won another game after it. So whether it was game one or two, I'm pretty sure it was game two. I don't think they ever recovered from celebrating in front of the, the Mavericks bench and then had Dallas coming back and winning that game, like. Because that was kind of the ultimate, like that team was, that team especially, that first seat team, they were the ultimate front runner team. Like when they got ahead, they just steamrolled past people. And it felt like when they got, you know, the, the, heat, the, the Mavericks kind of swung back and hit them in the mouth and came back and won that game. Like to your point, it just felt like the rest of that series, you know, those guys were just kind of flailing, um, flailing to find their footing again after that. Yeah, and the games... 
game six of that series, they were done. They didn't have anything left when they yeah. came back to Miami. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, – and then LeBron just went into a hole after the season. You know, yeah, he I went – famous story like six months later with Lee Jenkins when he was like, yeah, I just went and like sat in a room by myself for two weeks and didn't look it at just, anything. <laughs> hibernated in self-pity and loathing. Yeah, that was <clears> – <throat> Uh, you know, and, and covering that team the second year was actually crazier than the first year. And why is because, that? Well, it's because there was even more pressure on them because they had lost the first time. So it was like, is this going to be a complete wash? Is this going to be a complete failure of everything that you tried to do? Um, so every everything was to a heightened degree uh, – that much more intense and people in Miami were eating other people's faces. There was also the bath. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. That was the, uh, the bath salt stuff, right? Yeah, it was, it was against, <laughs> it was against the bulls. Uh, yeah, I was there for the- that series. I remember, I remember that. And that was right <laughs> by, that was the first one of those happened like between, I remember it happened between, uh, the Marriott, uh, the Biscayne Bay Marriott and the arena. It was like no, well, it was right Cosmo. next to the old. It was right next to the old Miami Herald building, right? Where it was, right? right. Which was right between the two things. And I remember going yeah. down there and being freaked out because they're like, "This had happened like a place I'd gone by a whole bunch of times before." Oh man, yeah. Popo was the guy's poor guy's name. <laughs> mm, yeah, so it didn't get crazy until the second year. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I want to ask you about Bosch and a couple other things too, but. I guess before we move on, like what, what, what were your biggest takeaways just overall from just being around that whole LeBron run? Like what are the things that really you remember from it? And, 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 and what do you, what do you think, how do you think this will compare to it in the end? Well, there was such a intermingling of culture, American culture, pop celebrity culture in that team that I don't, I don't know if this Warriors team is going to be able to match. Everyone wanted to be be at the party, be a part of the experience. Uh, you know, it was it was the height of American sports right. at the time. Um, so it was bigger than sports a lot of the times, and. I think the Warriors are going to be a huge story and it's going to be, uh, you know, everything that we want it to be. But like I said, man, if you, when you have a built in villain and no story is as good as the villain, um, you know, that, then that puts it on a different level, you know, for a reporter. And that's exactly what it was with the heat. Yeah, no, I, I, it was crazy to be around. Like I, I wasn't around that team a lot, but um, you know, I, I, the first couple of years I was at game five in the West Easter conference finals against the Celtics. I remember the Celtics won that game, went up three, two in that series. And I thought, I remember I called Peter Vesey. I remember I was working at the New York Post at the time. I remember talking to Peter Vesey on the, the floor after a couple hours after the game saying, I can't believe this team is going to lose. Like they're going to lose again. And you know, LeBron obviously goes to Boston for game six and has the greatest game of his life. And they, you know, they wind up winning the, the championship. Oh, but let me tell you how much they they hate LeBron in Boston. Oh my God! <laughs> so Boston knew they thought that they had the yeah. heat, man. Yeah, they thought that they were cooked. So for the <laughs> for the pregame meal for Game Six in Boston, they blew it out. I mean, blew it out. Really? They had all you could eat lobster and steak. Wow. Yeah, it was it was incredible. In the in the garden, all you could eat lobster and steak, wow. and they thought they thought that they were about to they were celebrating the end of the Miami Heat, right? Because at that point, Chris Bosh was going to get traded, like or maybe yeah. or like all kinds of crazy things were about to happen. It was about to be over, and the Celtics, LeBron came together with the Heat because he wanted to beat the Celtics, and the Celtics were going to be the team that you know toppled the evil monster and. Right. <laughs> Didn't and happen. Didn't and happen. Evil monster transformed into uh, the super 
incredible MVP that he was that year. He was LeBron was amazing in that game. Yeah, and that, that game gave him so much confidence. It really just carried him out through the rest of his career, as oh, far as for I'm sure. Oh, that look. I mean, you said it before, man. He he went to the the Heat to beat the Celtics, and beating the Celtics. Even more than winning that championship, beating this, coming back and having Game Six in Boston and winning that, winning Game Seven, like that's the reason why he's gone on and won three championships. Like he, that was the ultimate villain for him. And once he got over that, then it was all kind of downhill. And, right. You know, he's not going to be phased playing the Warriors in the finals. You know, like he, he's not phased by anything anymore. Um, but you, you mentioned before he know, owns Kevin Durant in the playoffs. Right. No, the right. He, he definitely does. They, they got that first championship against him in 12. Um, you, you mentioned it before, but obviously, you know, one of the big storylines the last few months in the NBA has been, you know, the really sad case of, of Chris Bosh um, and, and the fact that, you know, this guy, one of the, you know, one of the most fascinating people in the NBA, um, you know, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like, it seems like his career might have been ended prematurely for reasons completely out of his control. And, you know, you covered all, you know, the first, basically all five healthy years of his, um, well, no, I guess he had, I guess you, you were there for the first blood clot incident. Yeah. You did I two covered, years ago. Um, I covered the greatest time of his life, man. Right. Right. Well, so you, in, you were in basketball, right. You were there right up through, right up. You saw him, you know, you were through the first blood clot situation and you, you covered those years with the heat. So, um, you know, for people that don't, uh, for people that don't, you know, because Chris is a fairly, he's a little more reserved guy, and he obviously is playing on a team with two mega stars and Wade and, and LeBron. Um, can you can you just kind of tell people what, what told, he was like? If you would have told me that at the end of this whole Heat era, and it's done now, I mean, no, it's over. Uh, yeah, like White you, you tweeted your tweet today summed it up. Yeah, that, so that you never thought you'd hear Pat Riley say he was rebuilding. Exactly. If you would have told me after this was all over uh, and that Chris Bosh would have been more special to people in Miami than maybe even Dwayne Wade, um, and, and that's what, I, he's turned into this tragic figure now, and Bosh isn't the guy who left, okay? Bosh is the guy who stayed. Right. Bosh is the guy who learned Spanish. Uh, who went down to Miami and became a part of the culture. Um, it, it means a lot to the city of Miami now. And it's a heartbreaking for, for the city. And especially the same week that Jose Fernandez died. Right. I mean, it, it's just awful. It's awful in Miami right now. And my heart goes out to the entire city and to Bosch's family, Jose Fernandez's family. Um, yeah, talk about a, Bosch, talk about a. I mean, the Jose Fernandez story. I mean, what a what a terrible what a terrible uh, story that is. Especially especially there because I mean, it's one thing to have a a young star player have his life robbed from him like that, but especially you know, and Dan Levitard has, has written about this. But to have a a young Cuban expat in Miami who was one of the best players in baseball on the Marlins. I mean, I, it's hard for people to understand what that meant to people, you know, especially that Cuban community in Miami. And the person that he was, okay, he was such an amazing guy. And he, he was, his, he, his joy radiated from him in a way that was different than, you know, really anyone I've ever been around. He just made everyone in the room happy. Uh, you know, not just the Cuban community, not, Everyone was proud of that guy. Everyone wanted to be around him. Uh, he he represented joy and hope. And for him to his life to be snuffed out this way is awful. And it was terrible. Uh, you know, Chris Bosh. Hey, at least he's still alive. Okay, and and that's the most important thing. You know, they say I read this today somewhere. You know, the headline was, "Hey, ball is not life, Chris Bosh." So. Um, no one wants to see anything awful happen to Chris. He, and the guy was going to retire um, when he was 36 years old anyway. He, he was already preparing for the rest of his life. Right. 
Yeah. Well, that's, this and that's the, well, and that's what I want you to talk about because I don't think like people don't know Chris Bosh like they know some of the other stars in the NBA, guys like Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James and and even and Dwayne Wade. Like he's not that level of in the, at least in the public eye, he's not the same level of star. So you you know him really well now from your time with him. What and he's and like I said before, I think he's one of the most fascinating people in the league flat out. I mean, he's just a fascinating guy. So if you could, for, for, you know, for the average listener, that doesn't get the chance to be around him like this. Um, what, what is he, what is he like? Like what, what, who is Chris Boss the person? He's one of the coolest people on earth. That's, that's who he is. He is Renaissance man does not do him justice. That's too, it's not even the proper term. he, is he he codes he computer codes all right, right? he writes an art, he written, wrote an article about the importance of computer coding and why every kid should learn how to do it exactly um, he and he is well connected now in Hollywood um, I could see him being an actor uh, after this in some capacity producing maybe uh, he's already working with Maverick Carter. Um, on yeah, a project, given, all, given pretty much every actor is about five seven, I'm guessing it's probably going to be easier for a seven foot guy to be behind the <laughs> scenes. But but he but he like he's do, he's he's producing this documentary, like you said, with Maverick. I mean, he clearly Maverick Carter. He's clearly interested in um. He's clearly he's interested so, in doing that. He he's so funny. Uh, he he's got a great personality. He he doesn't take things too seriously. Um, you know, which is why. I know that when the sh- initial shock of this wears off on Chris, he's going to have uh, a major comeback in life. Um, you know, yeah, this is a this is the biggest setback so far of his life. But you know, he he's the type of guy who's going to rebound from this, and and he's going to succeed. Uh, you know, and he doesn't have to have anything to do with basketball, and I don't think it will. It it is remarkable to think about. The fact that this that trio only lasted five years there, like it just it's hard to. I mean, their contracts were six year contracts. I know they had options in them, but they also in twenty ten they all signed six year contracts, and <laughs> five years in they're all gone. It's just well, it's kind of it's it's kind of amazing. How well, it, what you got? What you got to do, okay, is try to figure out the point when LeBron knew he was going to leave and go back to Cleveland. Like, what is the moment when he was like, "Yeah, I'm really going to do this"? Because it what everything was already planned before it happened. I think it's when the I think, and I was in the room for this. I think it was the moment Cleveland won the lottery a second time or a third <laughs> time, and they got they had Andrew Wiggins on the team because I think if. I think if LeBron, if think if it was just Kyrie Irving and there with some young guys, I don't think LeBron was going to go back there then. That but, was the first domino, though. But when, right? well, what I'm saying, when they got when they got the number one pick and they had they had a trade chip at the worst and at best they could just have Wiggins on the team, then I think I'll then, never... you, then you saw then you saw the then you saw the the scenario play out. Well, all right, well now maybe this could happen. I'll never forget my, uh, Brian Windhorst's face when when the Cleveland got that pick. It, you know, we were all in the press room. Yep. Um, in Indianapolis, I was in the draft room for that. That was insane. I they jumped up from ninth to first for the second time in four years. The first time was when they got Kyrie Irving, and I was in the room. And I was everyone in the room was going like, "Is this pot? Like, how is this happening? They have three number one picks in four years. Like, how <laughs> how how is this happening?" Yeah, but <laughs> okay. So when horse yeah, explain the story. So you're in my right. you're in Miami, right? No, no, no. We're in Indianapolis. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, the, the Heat is playing Indiana, right. and, and that's always that's always the night of a, of a conference final game in the Eastern Conference, or it's always a, it's always the night of a conference final game because ESPN always runs that going into one of their games, and so exactly. that year ESPN had the Eastern Conference, so that's why you were at the game that day. So. Obviously, everyone was watching it. We were watching it in the press room. The players were probably watching it in the locker room. And Brian used to cover the Cleveland Cavaliers before he went to work for ESPN and be a national guy. And extremely uh, close to the situation in Cleveland, obviously. And so, you know, the Home Alone, Macaulay Culkin, 
the scene on the cover of the DVD, on the cover of the marquee with his hands on his face and his mouth wide open. Yeah. Okay. Do you know that that is exactly what he looked like? That is the shock and awe <laughs> on his face was like something that you would try to put on a movie trailer. That's that's what it was. I can't wait for Brian. I can't wait for Brian to listen to this podcast and have this come up. <laughs> I can't wait for Brian to listen to this podcast and have that just that just drop in the middle of it and have him hear him be compared to Macaulay Culkin. It's great. Um, but yeah, no, that that was it was incredible that that happened. It's still incredible. It's 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 crazy that that worked out as this did. Like it it it's hard to. You know, I, I went back oh, this this summer when this happened. I went back and wrote this column about like twelve things that happened to lead to Durant going to Golden State, and it it's a kind of you could do the same thing with LeBron. It's it's kind of crazy the number of the number of things that had to fall into place for this kind of stuff to to transpire. It's 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 really wild. You could say for when LeBron went to Miami in the first place too. NBA X Files. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's something else. Um. And now, now one final thing I want to talk to before we go uh, is you, you in your new in your job. You know, you left the you left the Herald last year to to take a job um, back in your home state, Alabama, as a columnist for Yale dot com, and you, you write a lot about college football there. Obviously, as that's the dominant storyline there. And um, you wrote you wrote a really great column this past week talking to Nick Saban um, in in light of a lot of the stuff that's that's been going on with Colin Kaepernick and the, the protests with the national anthem. And, you know, that's, that was a dominant theme today at media day around the, around the country with LeBron and Steph Curry and Duran all talking about it. And that, you know, it's a story that's not going to go away anytime soon, but I wanted to talk to you because you, like I said, you wrote this really great column talking to Nick Saban. And um, I, I don't, so I, what, I don't think a lot of people know, like people see Nick Saban as the, you know, this hall of fame coach, maybe the greatest college football coach of all time at Alabama and you know, after one in a, you know, won a championship at LSU and won a ton of games at Michigan State, but I don't know how much people know about his backstory. So if you could, I'd I'd like you to kind of talk about that column and, and why you why you went and talked to Nick Saban about everything that's going on right now. Well, he's an interesting guy. Okay, when you get past the, uh, you know, the CEO, uh, the probably the greatest CEO, you know, in sports, um, he is a thoughtful person and. He was at Kent State in 1970 as a freshman when they had the Kent State massacre, when the Ohio National Guard opened fire on student protests and killed four. He was on campus that day. He, was, he wasn't outside uh, protesting, but he was outside immediately after the shooting and saw gunshot wounds and, and the aftermath. And obviously that affected him for life. Um, so <clears throat> I thought that it would, he would have a, a good perspective on the power of protest, uh, considering all of the contemporary events that have taken place in our country, not just this year, okay, but dating back to St. Louis and, and everything we've gone through as a country. Um, and, you know, he just kind of put it in terms. He was like, the, the the power of protest is important. Law and order is extremely important. But for student protest, for the, and he could only relate to the student protesters, right? right? But he said, they, they said they did more to end the war in Vietnam than anything else. And that stayed with him his entire life. So it's just kind of an interesting perspective to have and related to these current events. The power of protest is important. It has the power to change things in our country. No, and 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 you've seen even, you know, obviously there's been as usual with these situations, too much attention paid to the actual um, actions themselves rather than the meaning behind them. But it, you know, Colin Kaepernick has started a lot of dialogue, even, even if it's not as much dialogue as there should be, um, on these subjects, he still started a dialogue that wasn't there a month ago. I mean, nobody was talking about this stuff to this degree a month ago, and now it's now it's front and center every day. And you have you know guys like Steph Curry and LeBron James talking about it. And 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 just, I wanted to ask you this too, because of your time with LeBron, you know, what have you thought of his kind of embrace of of you know being involved in these kind of things, whether it's 
the stuff well, I wanted, he did. I wanted, to, I wanted to get to that too. Yeah, and no, because I'm curious to hear your perspective on that, because and if he's kind of grown over the last few years. Well, it happened. It started in 2012, and LeBron, and that was the second year of the Heat, and Trevon Martin was killed in uh, at outside of Orlando, and the Heat decided as a team to take this pitcher. Uh, everyone had on their, everyone had a, pulled over their hoods of their, their warmups mm-hmm. and it was a show of solidarity and, you know, and for black lives matter. And it was very important at the time, considering they were the biggest thing in sports for them to go, to come together and, and show the power. And, and that was a peaceful protest. Yep. Uh, you know, that was a big deal, too. It was a huge deal. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing that's happening now. And it's just an extension of it. And, and, what, and what the players did at the ESPY Awards uh, this past summer, uh, saying that as, as professional athletes, it's, and being in the public figure, it, it's, their, it's their job and their responsibility to give a voice to the voiceless, uh, you know, it's just a special time, in my opinion, uh, you know, for this country. And everyone says it's a, it's these are terrible times, but in my opinion, um, you know, as an American, this is what this country is about. We we go through problems and we rise, we get better from them. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, no, I think you, I think you said it. I think you said it really well. It's, um, you know, it. I, I enjoy covering the NBA because the guys who cover this, who are in this sport, um, they tend to be a lot more interesting than athletes in other sports. Um, I, I think, it, I think the NBA and, and basketball in general is a sport that's kind of about individual expression in a way that football and baseball and hockey just aren't. Um, and soccer, I mean, those are all you know, team sports where you kind of have to fit into a larger framework and it, you're kind of, you're kind of put into a a box where you kind of have to fit within this framework of a team. Whereas, you know, even though you are on a team in basketball, because there are so many less, so so few players on the court at once, the fact that one guy can have such a big impact, you know, it does, it does allow these guys to become a lot bigger stars and, and, and grow, I think, in ways a lot of these other athletes don't. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, from the, the Trayvon Martin stuff with that Heat team to the I Can't Breathe shirts that these guys wore last year um, in New York and other places, or a couple of years ago, I should say, um, you know, to stuff that, to, you know, LeBron and Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade and, and uh, you know, going up on the stage um, in, at the ESPYs and, and giving a speech about the need to, to curb gun violence. Um, I think you've just, I think, you've, I think to your point, you've kind of seen a lot of these guys realize the impact they can have in a way, uh, in a way they might not have before. And I, I think that, I think that that's a really good thing. And I, I think that it's, uh, I think that it's a good sign for, for both of the NBA and for, for us as a whole to see what these guys are doing and, uh, and that they're kind of embracing the, the opportunity they have to make a difference. And that might be the greatest legacy of the Miami heat. Um, from a social standpoint, the fact that, they wanted to be involved at a time when athletes didn't do that. Um, you know, in the NBA, there was a, I mean, Michael Jordan, you know, set a standard in a lot of ways in the NBA. Um, and he didn't speak for a long time. He didn't speak out about anything. He just wanted to sell shoes. Um, right. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but LeBron, well, that's not the case and, anymore though. No, absolutely not. And it started with, in a lot of ways, it started with that team when they spoke out about the, uh, the Trevon Martin murder. I think that's carried on. And this is, you know, obviously this is an extension, uh, of that. Yeah, no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. So this was, uh, this was great, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you stopping by and, and chatting about all this stuff. Um, but before, before you go, uh, Tell the people, tell the people where they can where they can follow you on the various social medias and uh, beyond the beyond the the Saban story, which is going to be a link to in the story. 
um, that's going with this with this podcast. Uh, give give the people some stuff to read because your stuff is really good. Yeah, sure. Just uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Goodman Jr. I throw all my links up there, and that's it. <laughs> that's the easiest way. What do you want me to tell no, you? No, it's it's good. It's very it's very short and sweet. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and Joe, Joe is a great follow both, both, both because he's uh, an excellent writer and because he's insane. So it's, uh, he's, he's all, he's tweeting about something different all the time and it's entertaining. There's uh, good crazy and there's bad crazy. Joe, and I prefer to be in the middle. Well, <laughs> I would argue you're good crazy, but, uh, but it's, it's, you're definitely an entertaining follow. So I encourage anyone who isn't following him now, uh, to go ahead and do so, especially if you like college football, because he, He's doing great stuff right now, specific, specifically on uh, on everything going on in uh, in the SEC. Uh, covering was at the at the insane Auburn LSU game, which we were texting about Saturday night, wondering how long. Or we actually we talked on the phone, wondering how long it was going to be before Les Miles got fired. And then he got fired within six hours, I think, of our phone conversation. So. <laughs> it was. Probably he was already fired. He probably was already fired while we were on the phone, wondering when he was going to get fired. Uh, he probably was already told, "You're out," which. Uh, which was amazing, but um, but all right. So you can you can find my work uh, on the Washington Post website and uh, and in the in the newspaper. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. Follow me on Facebook at uh, Tim Bontemps NBA. Um, please uh, give a five star rating review to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, it helps our rating. It's appreciated. Um, you can also please uh, find uh, the theme music for the podcast was by Glenn Yoder in the Western States. Uh, you can find their music on, on the internet if you search for them. Uh, if you like like the theme song, which many people do, uh, please go please go pick that up. Um, we have a bunch of new podcasts the Washington Post, which you can hopefully go follow. Uh, Chris Alez on the new quiz show. We have this cool presidential series um, that's titled Presidential. We have a new fantasy football show. Go check that stuff out. But, uh, Joe, it's good to catch up with you, my man. Thank you. Uh, have thank have you fun in San Francisco. Yeah, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to come visit, buddy. I absolutely am gonna come visit. Don't worry. Oh, good. Let's. Uh, I'm lo- I'm looking forward to it already. But uh, thanks thanks to everybody for stopping by and and for listening. And we'll talk to y'all soon. <laughs>